Welcome to the Common Grounds Unity Podcast, where we have great conversations with unity-minded Christians. Our goal is to encourage unity of the Spirit within the Stone Campbell Movement and beyond. We believe unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and join us as we seek to fulfill Jesus' prayer that we may all be one. And now, here are your co-hosts, Megan Rollins and Kevin Witham. Hello and welcome to another episode of Common Grounds Unity Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Rawlings, and my co-host is joining me today, but he is actually going to be the person that we interview. I am so excited to have Kevin here. I'm excited you've tuned in for this conversation where we talk about unity among the churches. Kevin Witham, how are you, buddy? I am doing great, Megan. It's good to be with you, and I, I think it's good to be on this uh, this side today being interviewed instead of asking the questions with you. Are you nervous? I'm, ex- uh, I'm just excited to share some things that I hope will bless uh, our listeners as far as unity. So. Listen to that confidence. He's not nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I'm just going to tell you guys a little bit about Kevin before we dive in. Um, Kevin Witham is obviously the co-host of this wonderful Common Grounds Unity podcast. He's also the senior minister of a nice church called North County Church of Christ out in um, es- es- Escondido. You got that right, Escondido. I did. Good job, Megan. California. (laughs) He is a native of the San Diego area, is married to Karen, and he has three. Count them. One, two, three sons. He's been in full-time ministry for over 30 years. Do you know how old Uh, I am, Kevin? uh, Maybe not yet 30, huh? I am the same age that you have been in full-time ministry. Oh, wow. You had to say that, didn't you? I did, because I think it's special. (laughs) It is very special. He did just over eight of those years in Austin, Texas, and he received his degree in Bible and religion from the wonderful Harding University. He has done graduate studies at Abilene Christian University, and he has spoken at Christian University lectureships, men's retreats, spiritual growth retreats, and has been published in various Christian magazines. Kevin's sermons have been broadcasted on the radio, as you can tell by his voice, because it is amazing for radio. And he hosted the Know Your Bible television program in San Diego for 13 years. Kevin, my friend, how are you? Megan, I'm doing great. I I forgot most of that. Thanks for pointing that out. Uh, You must have read that off of something that uh, was given Mm -hmm. to you. No, it was all off the top of my head. A quick Google search. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sounded just like it. <laughs> you're you're so famous. You were all over the Google. So oh yes, so easy all to over find. the Google. All well, it is great it. to be with you this week, and uh, hope we, hopefully we can share some things that'll bless the folks that are listening to us. Yes, Kevin. Before we go any further, I just read a little bit off of you, but tell us some of the stuff that the Google didn't tell me. Give me a little bit about your spiritual journey and ministry. Some of the stuff you won't find on the Google. Well. You know, as far as my own spiritual life, I, I grew up in the context of the church. My uh, my dad was a deacon. My mom was the church secretary uh, and a Sunday school teacher. So, boy, I really grew up in a strong church environment at the Lemon Grove Church of Christ here in San Diego County. And, you know, I was one of those kids that grew up, my brother and sister and I, we'd often be down at the church building when my mom was working and we'd be, you know, in the auditorium 
playing church, you know, one of us preaching, one of us leading singing, one of us doing communion. And uh, then, of course, we'd somebody do announcements and, you know, we'd go out into the parking lot and smoke. Uh, no, that, not that, not that. But back then in the 60s, a lot of folks seemed to do that. So um, it was one of those experiences where I grew up going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I uh, got baptized as a young person, uh, you know, spent my childhood going to Bible camp and VBS and singing booster, booster, be a booster and or be a uh, don't be grumpy like a rooster. I think some of our listeners will remember that VBS song and, you know, getting badges for bringing friends and all that good stuff that we experienced growing up in, uh, in churches of Christ. And then as a young person, uh, after I'd been baptized for a couple of years, we had a preacher at our church who was really good about uh, cultivating people for ministry. And he'd get, uh, you know, young people up in front of the church, uh, giving little lessons and helping to lead Wednesday night devotionals. Um, in, in my upbringing, we always went to church on Wednesday night and had a little devotional before we all broke into Bible classes. And so I remember when I was about 13, he asked me to get up and give a talk. And I told him, no, I don't believe I'd be interested in doing that. And he said, well, I'm putting you on the schedule. And I said, boy, I really don't think I want to do that. And then he, he called me and said, well, you're going to be speaking this Wednesday night. You got your lesson ready. So I remember getting up for the first time to preach and my my knees were wobbly and shaking and my mouth was dry, but I got my five-minute sermon out. And I think I covered every topic and evidently didn't preach any heresy because he asked me to do it again. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so, you know, as time went on, uh, I was a part of a youth group that was vibrant, that was alive and active and evangelistic. Kids were get, coming to Christ and getting baptized. So, boy, God really shaped my heart towards ministry. And, you know, that led me ultimately to head off to Harding and then go into a life of full-time. We're all in ministry, but to, mm-hmm. to go into full-time uh, ministry. So I've been at it ever since. Just had, had great roots, great upbringing, a great childhood church experience, and then have been a part of five different congregations as far as being their preacher. I uh, had some long-suffering people, you know, back in 1985 when I first got started full-time, but have stayed with it, and God's been good, and I've been blessed to be with some great congregations and now with a great uh, family of believers in North County in Escondido. So there's a little bit about me. Um, Kevin, can and, you give us names and uh, the spill the tea on the long-suffering folks? I you No, know, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they were very patient. All of us who go into preaching ministry, we've got some patient people that bear with us. Hey, I will say something about that. Yeah. You know, that, that childhood experience and, you know, having people in ministry kind of reach out and nudge us and push us and pull us, I think we need to be doing more of that <clears throat> because there were a lot a number of young people that went into full-time ministry out of that church experience. So don't be afraid to challenge our young people. Um, Yeah. How old were you when you first started? Well, so when I, that first time he asked me to preach, I was 13 years old, but I went into full-time ministry. You know, I think I I started at my first church work full-time at about 23, but but was given in those early years a lot of preaching opportunity leading up to that. And Man. that was uh, healthy in developing uh, 
myself as a minister. Wow. And, and I'm a appreciative baby. of that. Oh, man. I had hair back then, Megan. Gosh, I love that. I love that they gave youth an opportunity, you know? I, I love seeing that. What would you say um, has ignited? That was a terrible segue, by the way, but I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> what would you say has ignited a passion in you for unity and your desire? desire oh my gosh english is really hard today and <laughs> your desire you. to be involved in common grounds well you know my interest in this goes way back um when i was a young person growing up in a acapella church of christ um we we used to talk about the restoration movement and the the goal of the movement of both unity and restoration. And I grew up with this sense that if we could just get everybody to read the Bible and to, to deal with the Bible honestly, we would be united as Christians. And I remember as a young person growing up, one of the passages that we often referenced was 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, where I, if I remember the King James version of that, you know, Paul exhorts us to all speak the same thing. I think the more modern translations say that we all agree and that there be no divisions among us. So I grew up naively thinking that if you could just get everybody to read the Bible and, and be honest with it, uh, we would just come to terms and, and be united because we'd all speak the same things and believe the same things. And it was kind of an idea of unity built around conformity. And here's what I mean by that. I think we misinterpreted that verse and lifted it out of its context, and it led us to, to kind of preach a unity where on every little matter we had to have full agreement in order to have fellowship. And I think my bubble was burst pretty early on as a young person um, I remember giving a lesson one Sunday night where the preacher had had, had asked me to fill in for him and, and do the preaching. And I was about 16 years old at the time. And there was a guy in the crowd who came up afterward and he, he asked me, you know, why does your church uh, here um, take communion on Sunday night for people that weren't there Sunday morning? Mm. And I thought about that and I and then he started to point out to me what an error that is, and there's no scriptural authority for it. And he mentioned that he was a part of the Church of Christ on such and such a street uh, down in the South Bay. And I thought, well, isn't that interesting? Here I thought we all agreed on everything. And then I met a guy that went to a congregation not far from ours, and we were having a conversation once. And he said, you know, can you actually believe I went to a congregation on our vacation, and they had a kitchen in their church building? And I thought to myself, well, we have a kitchen in our church building and have, then he went on to say, and they had a fellowship hall and we had a fellowship hall. And I began to realize here was another church where we, we knew one another outside of church, but they didn't really have fellowship with ours. Mm. And I began to see that we had all these different tributaries from our stream of acapella churches of Christ that didn't really fellowship. Some churches didn't believe in Sunday school. Uh, some churches believed in taking communion out of one cup. And, and here we had all these churches with the same name on the building, all claiming to be restoration churches and unity-minded, and yet we couldn't come to enough agreement on what appeared to me to be really small matters that we could have any unity among ourselves. 
And then as I was a little bit older, as I was an older teenager, you know, this uh, movement up the road in a congregation that I did have fellowship with, that we had fellowship with, a movement got started called the, the Crossroads Movement. And I was told by people in our congregation, you know, you ought to kind of isolate yourself from that movement and not get involved with it. And and ultimately, fellowship was broken there as well. And, and that, of course, was the early stages of the ICOC. So my experience in this movement where Barton Stone had talked about unity being our polar star was so fractured, so divided. And I looked back at that verse, 1 Corinthians 1.10, and I thought, man, either Paul uh, was asking for something that's impossible or we're misreading that text. And of course, you know, later I went on to Harding and I took some good courses in hermeneutics and I learned Oh, there's a way to read the Bible and to interpret it better. Uh, you got to read things in context. And there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2, and 3, the context is, hey, we preach Christ and him crucified. Our salvation is found in him. Other foundation can no man lay other than that which has been laid, Paul said. The foundation is Jesus. Paul wasn't saying, hey, I've got to agree with you on a list of 10 or 12 or 100 things to have fellowship with you or to be united with you, and yet we were practicing that way. Paul was saying, our message is Christ. And instead of these personalities being the basis of our unity, Paul or Apollos or Cephas, it's Christ. So I started to see all these divisions as really problematic and really the antithesis of what Jesus was praying for in John 17 when he prayed that we would be one. And I saw Paul as saying something very different than, hey, I've got to agree with you on every matter in, in order to have fellowship with you. So, so with that, when, or, you know, over the years, as I've learned about our other brothers and sisters in the Stone Campbell movement, <clears throat> beyond Churches of Christ, you know, I've met great Christian church people and have developed great relationships with folks in the ICOC. When John Teal and others started talking about a, a movement to, to start talking again, to dialogue in the different streams of this movement, I think my heart was there 25 and 30 years ago, and I'm just excited that so many others uh, are, are on this as being so important and, and so impactful, mm. I pray. Absolutely. That's a long answer to, to a question, though, that I think is important to why we're doing what we're doing. So the unity, um, the fellowship, these are things that are kind of, you know, synonymous, somewhat synonymous, maybe. Um, and you mentioned that you guys gathered together because one of the things that Common Grounds does is they have different locations where um, people who are part of the group can come together and discuss unity and to just get to know one another and hang out um, for the sake of Christ. And, and it's people within the restoration movement. And you recently shared with a Southern California Common Grounds gathering some thoughts. Um, I wasn't there, but, you know, rumor has it that you shared some thoughts <laughs> from Ephesians chapter four, verses one through three about the basis of and atmosphere of unity. And what jumps out at you in this text that you um, think helps our current discussions here? 
Yeah, I'd love to talk about that a couple of moments, because this passage, I think, is so helpful in fostering the, the unity that we desire. Um, th- this was with the, the group that John Teal is actually a part of. It's up in the L.A. area. My, chat, my, my gathering, I should say, uh, that I get with for lunch and coffee and over Zoom is the San Diego gathering. And uh, boy, just blessed to be a part of that group. Um, John had actually asked me to, to speak to one uh, of our gatherings up in L.A., and I shared some thoughts there that I'd just love to share more broadly here. You know, Ephesians is a letter about unity. I mean, Paul is writing to uh, Gentile Christians in Ephesus in a church that he founded when he went there to preach the gospel, and, and now he's writing them from a Roman prison cell, and he's talking to them about their unity in Christ and about their common faith in Christ. I mean, you go back to chapter one, and he is telling these Gentiles, you are a part of the great planning and purpose of God that he predetermined since before the creation of the world. Just because you're Gentiles and weren't a part of the covenant, what we call the old covenant, you were every much, uh, every bit as much in the mind and heart of God and what God is doing in the church, <clears throat> what he's bringing together out of Jews and Gentiles has always been his plan. It's always been his purpose. And he's kind of affirming that with these Gentile Christians. And he says down at Ephesians 1 at verse 10 that, that God has purposed in Christ uh, to put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to unite or bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head. That's Christ. So his, his goal in Ephesians is to unite And he emphasizes that throughout. He makes it clear that none of us have anything to boast in. You get into chapter 2, and our salvation is by grace through faith so that none of us can kind of bring our works before God and boast to others or boast to him. We haven't merited anything. Hmm. And Paul in that chapter, in chapter 2, speaks about how in Christ uh, God has brought down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. That is so important to understanding this this text. And interestingly, you know, Paul is writing that from a Roman jail cell, and he's there because way back in Jerusalem, he was accused of bringing a Gentile into the temple courts. He hadn't done it. Those were trumped up charges. But here he is from that cell saying, you know, in Christ, in this new temple, the body of Christ, that barrier, that dividing wall of hostility has been torn down. And in chapter 2, God, through his Spirit, is building a new temple, and it's Jew and Gentile. And as you get into chapter 4, down at verse 13, he speaks about how God has placed certain people in the church and ministries in the church with the goal uh, that we reach unity and reach maturity. Back in chapter 3, Paul, you know, he, he asserts some things very confidently, doctrinally. I mean, it's a rich letter, doctrinally speaking. Uh, our unity is not just built around our agreement to come together and sing Kumbaya. It's not built on nothing. It's built on the gospel. It is built on who Christ is and 
this is all a part of God's planning and purpose to bring this about in Jesus. So Paul doesn't have anything to boast about. He gets very humbled in chapter 3 at verse 8. And then, with all that kind of background laid, you get to chapter 4, and at verses 1 through 3, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Paul is saying, listen, there's not a Jewish and a Gentile uh, body. There's not a Jewish and a Gentile spirit. There's not a Jewish and a Gentile hope. Uh, No, there is one God, one Lord, one spirit, one body. There's this oneness. And so there's a basis to our unity. But here's the point I want to make today. I think, you know, we're talking to a lot of folks who would see that and agree with that point. Um, there's also an atmosphere that fosters unity. There's a spirit, an attitude required of us if we're going to have unity, because ego and pride can easily get in the way. And Megan, I think many of the divisions that, that I saw in the churches of my experience in growing up existed because of prideful people with strong personalities, who seemed at times willing to uh, divide churches, often over what I would consider to be very trivial matters. And had there been greater humility in the things that Paul describes here, I don't know that those divisions would have occurred. I mean, here's what what Paul is, is calling for. Be completely humble. And man, humility is uh, me first recognizing my place before God. There's one God and Father. There's one Lord. And, you know, I ain't it. And you ain't it. Um, and, And humility begins with us recognizing our place before him. And my role is to humble myself and to submit to him in every way. But then to be completely humble means, hey, I'm gonna see other believers as being saved by grace just as I am. And I'm going to be humble in my assertions. And as I'm studying scripture, humble in some of my conclusions. And I'm going to listen well and be humble toward you. And when I speak, you know, we can speak with boldness and confidence, but we're still called to be gentle. Hmm. I think one of the things that I see, even in the way we Christians are addressing the culture outside the church is we're not all, always gentle. Peter in First Peter, you know, he talked about when people ask us about the hope that is in us. Hey, answer them, but do it with gentleness and respect. Being gentle doesn't mean I, I give up my convictions. It doesn't mean that I don't hold to some things strongly. I mean, there are some doctrines that I am fully committed to that I think are essential to us being Christians and being followers of Christ. Uh, but boy, I can sure uh, be gentle in the way I speak those convictions to you instead of harsh 
And he says, be patient. Hey, everybody's in a different place. Everybody's growing in their knowledge and understanding and are in different places on the journey. Bear with one another in love. So I think Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 says a lot to where we are with common grounds because there is a basis for unity. But we're we're talking, I think, to folks from different backgrounds, some in Christian churches, some in churches of Christ a cappella, some in instrumental churches, some in Christian churches. And we see some things differently. There's a core of some things that I think we all hold as, as being truth mm. and necessary. But there are some other places where we may not see eye to eye. And unity does not demand conformity on everything. It means that we all see Christ as the Savior, Jesus as Lord, and our hope is in Him. Does that make sense? Totally. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, listen, with some of those uh, differences that you just discussed earlier with the congregations that had split or didn't fellowship um, with each other over their differences, and especially those you had mentioned with the strong personalities who weren't willing to, you know, lay down their wants for the needs of the church, etc., um, which wasn't your words exactly. I, I put words in your mouth, but hopefully you don't mind that. <laughs> that sums it up well. How do we work towards unity with that? Well, so I think as I, t- as I take this passage at Ephesians chapter 4, um, when, when I say that unity doesn't demand conformity, you know, my qualifier is that it doesn't demand conformity on every little matter that we might have conviction about. There are some things uh, that are so important doctrinally uh, that that sometimes it will mean a breach in fellowship. For example, you know, Paul writes the Galatian letter, and and he is uncompromising. What's being preached by the Judaizers isn't the gospel. It is false, and it needs to be refuted. Uh, When Paul writes the Colossian letter, I mean, the Colossian heresy says that there are other mysteries. Uh, You need more to be full in your relationship with God. And he writes to say, no, all of God's fullness is in Christ. All you need is Christ. And the mystery of how God's going to reconcile folks to him and to one another is Christ. And our hope of being saved is Christ. So, you have things like that in Scripture. Second John, you know, whosoever goeth onward and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. And then John says, don't even eat with such a person. So there are matters where we must have conformity of belief. But then there are many things that we might see differently. And this is Romans 14, isn't it? I mean, here Paul is writing to a church made up of Jews and Gentiles And he knows there's some differences that they're having, what he calls disputable matters. And they're judging one another on disputable matters. And he he says, in effect, hey, you are judging somebody else's servant. Jesus is Lord. Before their own master, they'll stand or fall. There are some things where you may have a conviction, and you may even share it with a brother or sister, but it doesn't rise to a level where you need to judge another or base your fellowship on that matter. And so in Romans 14, we have these matters where, hey, there's a leeway. There may even be a right and correct answer, but the issue doesn't rise to a level where we need to break fellowship over those things. And I've seen a lot of broken fellowship in my life, Mm 
over matters that were far less uh, than the core, than the gospel. And so, so when we say unity without uniformity, um, you know, we take issues like music, um, and, and we look at that, and that's been a source of division in the church mm-hmm. and in many of the, the, the folks' churches that are listening to this. You know, really, does how we sing and whether or not we accompany it or not, you know, does it rise to that place uh, that it should be a source that says, hey, I can't fellowship with you? Mm-hmm. Uh, can't we get to a place where we say, hey, maybe our conscience won't allow such a thing, but... Um, in your church, you have freedom in Christ. Before your own master, you rise or fall. You're a brother or sister. Or when we think about, you know, uh, how we disciple, there, you know, there are different things where, where pride might cause us to say, I have found the way. This is the way it must be done. And if you don't see it this way, you're prideful and I won't even fellowship with you. Can't we better say, hey, I found something here that I think is helpful, that may be even productive. And yet I'm not going to make a human law out of this and bind it upon you and require it for us to have fellowship in Christ. This is that humility and bearing with and gentleness that I think Paul calls for in Ephesians 4 and some freedom and latitude that Scripture allows. I mean, some things we need to be uncompromising about, but then there's room for latitude and freedom and fellowship that can be rich. Kevin, you know... The 21st century has brought on a lot of things um, as cancel culture, um, <laughs> women's roles, right? Like we're, we're getting a little more of a voice in the world. Um, and there are a lot of hot button issues within the church, such as women's roles. What, where do we fit in in the church? Are we allowed to have a say? You know, and I know that seems silly, but it's true. Things like um, the LBGTQ community. Um, you know, what if some churches approve and some churches don't? Like, how do you remain unified when you disagree? Um, and these are strong issues, biblical issues. How, what do you think? How do we deal with these hot button issues? Well, I think, well, that's an excellent question. And, uh, boy, you think you talk about pitching hardball to me at the end of the podcast here, Megan. Let, let me talk about those for just a couple of moments here because those are very important. And then important when things. you're done with that, I want you to solve world hunger in 30 seconds. <laughs> I think it's important, you know, for us <clears throat> as we're talking about any issue and all of these issues, you know, first, that we do remain very humble. At first, again, I mentioned this in Ephesians 4, I think our humility begins with being humble before God, that we really want to know His will, and on any matter not seek to impose our will, or what is kind of easiest to, to kind of go along with, to get along with the world. You know, on, on any of these matters, we first have to be humble before God and say, God, uh, I want to know your will on this matter. I want to know what your word says and that we remain steadfast in that. Then as we talk about these things, that we have humility with one another, that, that we listen well, uh, that we, you know, on any matter, check our assumptions and see, you know, are my assumptions in line with what Scripture's actually saying? 
we may come to the same conclusions on, on many of these matters that we've always held, or we may find that we have room where we need to grow and rethink a matter because maybe something isn't what we've always thought. Hmm. So humility with God, God, I want to do your will, and we want our church to be in your will, and humility with the word and humility with one another. You know, I think that's the critical starting place. And I think that's true of anybody, no matter where they come from at the moment on any of these questions. So there's something that I think comes out of Ephesians chapter four. Uh, Paul's interest, again, was, was not in fostering just to go along, to get along culture. Um, he wasn't there to just kind of foster a, hey, let's all uh, kind of lay our convictions aside and sing Kumbaya and join hands on every matter. No, th- there are some core things, and I want to know what those are. But then I want to know where there's latitude and there's freedom. And let's just approach God and his word and one another with the humility that scripture is calling for. Mm, absolutely. Hey, Kevin, have you ever heard of a guy named Victor Hugo? I have. Okay. I, I love <laughs> Les Miserables. So. Uh, okay. And I hope I said that right. My French isn't great. Love the play, though. Yeah. So Victor Hugo once wrote, all the forces of the world are not so powerful as ideas whose time has come. Do you have thoughts about how this quote relates to Common Ground's unity and others who are currently seeking greater unity within the Stone Campbell movement? Yeah. You know, I think, Megan, I love that. I I think uh, God has always, you know, raised certain people up at the right time with a heart to do his will. I mean, we see this biblically, uh, do we not? Mm-hmm. I mean, we see Esther, you know, who was brought for, you know, for such a time as this. Um, we see God, you know, tapping prophets and and then people in the New Testament like Paul. Uh, I, I think common ground unity is something that, of course, is near and dear to the heart of our Lord Jesus. He prayed for it, that we would all be one. And when I see people uh, who have been formative in this movement kind of stepping up and saying, you know, hasn't the time come? This idea of unity is so powerful. It can, we can so impact better our communities for Christ if we were one in Christ and acted as one in Christ. I'm thankful for those that God has raised up and laid this on their heart And I would just encourage others, boy, if this is stirring in your heart, know how near and dear it is to Jesus and join with us. Join in the conversations, join in the dialogue, and do what you can at a local level uh, to reach out your hand to other believers, uh, to get into the Word together, to love them, uh, to build a relationship with them. And let's impact the world and make a difference in this world that so needs the gospel. Uh, that we're privileged to have. Mm, Absolutely. Listen, Kevin, this has been such a fun conversation, and I'm so glad that we were able to talk a little bit and let our listeners get to know you just a little bit better, get to know your heart, and thank you so much for just doing that for us. Well, it was my pleasure. A lot of fun to do this with you, Megan, and uh, hopefully we're doing good things that'll bless the kingdom. Absolutely. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we leave, I have one last question for you, buddy. Oh, no. Here it is. The big one. 
as you know, Common Grounds Unity <laughs> has a saying, uh, Unity starts with a cup of coffee. So my question to you is, how do you take your coffee? I take my coffee with cream, and I put the half and half in first, and then I pour the coffee in, and man, that is just a beautiful thing. So, can you taste the difference with me? if it's first or last? Uh, no, sure, absolutely. I have a very discriminating palate. I just wondered if it uh, was like mixed better or something. <laughs> no, I, you know, I actually started doing that years ago. Had a friend that used to do that. And, uh, I would pour my half and half in as, as I'm stirring it. He said, what are we, animals? I mean, you don't want to <laughs> break the delicate bouquet of the coffee by pouring half and half oh in. Oh, my gosh. So I don't know if people will get that. But uh, so I've always done it that way ever since, and it works for me. So if you're having coffee with me, better have a little half and half nearby. There you go. All right, guys. Thanks again. Make sure you tune in next week when we discuss unity on the Common Grounds Unity podcast. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity podcast with Megan and Kevin. Please check out commongroundsunity.org to learn more about who we are. There are plenty of resources and you can subscribe to the weekly email articles, join the Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. We've also provided a link in the show notes for comments. You can ask questions or suggest topics and guests. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can do that too through the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless. And remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.